ask for your attention to the Word of God, to Luke chapter 16, and starting at verse 19, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Luke chapter 16, starting at verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he might dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And he said, I beg you therefore, Father, you would send him to my father's house, where I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, father, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. Here we end our reading reading of the inspired word of the Lord. May God bless his word to our our hearts. Beloved congregation, death is quite often removed from our consciousness. We don't like to think about it. And it's rather inconvenient and sometimes downright disruptive to have to take time to face it. So this is true with regard to funerals, that where there used to be a a duty felt, about going to funerals and paying respects and supporting those who have lost their loved one. People find excuses to stay away. Or whether it's about the removal of death from our lines of sight pushing cemeteries away and 
making it all a more specialized and secretive business. Death is uncomfortable. And why is that? Well, it's because, first of all, we don't know what it's like to die. We were made to live. And that's what we know. That's our experience. And to think of no longer living as we now are can be a distressing, uncomfortable thought. But also, not just that it's against our experience, but there's a sense of finality to death. To think of the life that we are living ended. What then? There is finality. It's the end. And it's a solemn consideration. But to consider death, whether we are young, can put a perspective on the importance of our life. That when we are middle-aged and so caught up in, in busyness and various callings, can show in the scheme of things what really is important. For those of you who are older, to think of death can be preparation what may, for what may soon come. And the parable in front of us, and I'm preaching through the parables in my church over there in Newmarket, teaches us about death, about the reckoning. Now that's a big word. What is reckoning? Well, let me try to illustrate reckoning for you children. The first illustration is maybe when you've done something wrong and you know you've done something wrong and you hear daddy or mommy coming to find you you are going to be talked to for the wrong thing that you did punishment will come or you will be cleared or said found to not have done something wrong that's the reckoning, that moment when daddy or mommy comes around the corner and looks you in the eye and tells you if you were wrong and naughty or if you were okay. Or maybe for those in school, there's reckoning numerous times through the course of the semester where You've been told that you need to study and that you need to know the subject matter. Let's say it's math and you need to do your homework. And maybe you've done all that pretty well. Or maybe you haven't done so well in your homework. And the time of reckoning will come when you have a test. And then it will show unmistakably whether you know your stuff, you know the answers, you know the principles, or you don't. So it's that moment when matters become clear. Whether you're naughty or good, whether you know the subject or whether you don't. 
Well, this reckoning in this parable is the time when the rich man and Lazarus die. And what we see in that reckoning, what we see in that moment when it comes clear, sadly the rich man goes to hell or goes to Hades. And happily, Lazarus is ushered into heaven, as it's called Abraham's bosom. Now what's the point of this parable? Well, I'd suggest that there are two main points in this parable. The first is following from the parable that has preceded it, which is the parable of the rich fool, where the steward, the manager of the household, wastes the owner's resources and goods. And then even before that is the parable of the prodigal son, where the the son wastes his father's goods. So there's a theme about riches, about wasting goods, and this rich man had many goods, and yet he wasted them. He had a, a poor man laid at his gate, wanting to receive something more nourishing and some compassion. The rich man had no heart to care for him. And if we were to read a little bit prior to the verses that we read this night, we would see in verse 14, Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things, and they derided him. So there is a instruction here for the Pharisees, for the lovers of money, to beware. Lest when it comes to the day of reckoning, to the final judgment, they perish. But then there is another theme, and that is the call to prepare for what's coming. Just like that steward, that unjust steward, he was going to lose his job. But what did he have the foresight to do but to prepare for the time when he would be put out of work? He's going to cut the bills that the people who owed his master, he's going to cut them significantly. So that people would receive him into their houses. And he would have something to go to. He prepared in advance. And the calling in this parable is not to face the reality of death just for the faith. Just for a brief consideration to face the reality of death in order to prepare rightly for it. So this night we're looking at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus under the theme, final 
reckoning. Final reckoning. Three points. The reality of death. Final destination. And opportunity for repentance. Firstly then, the reality of death. And this needs very little expansion. But rich and poor both died. It is a reality that, the, that death levels humanity. That whether you are the queen or whether you are a poor person in the streets, you will die. Whether you're old right now or young right now, you will die. Whether you have many friends or whether you have, have few, you will, you will die. No amount of difference with respect to the lives they live changes that fact. We read of the rich man. He was a certain rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So he had affluence. He had wealth. He had abundance. He had appearance. He had a beauty all around him. From his clothes to the, to the various foods that lined his table, multiple courses of, of his, his favorite foods of every taste, every day. What an abundance. What a life. Many, even in the church, many today, oh, if only I could be wealthy. That would keep me. I would be secure. I would feel good about myself. And then in contrast to the rich man, but there was a certain beggar. He had nothing. His name was Lazarus, which means whom the Lord helps. From the same root of the Old Testament writer Ezra. The Lord is his helper. But he was full of sores. They would be red spots filled with pus. Maybe some would be bleeding and they would be very painful. He longed the dogs would come and lick his sores. As the only relief he could get. And he desired to be fed with the crumbs at the rich man's table. That there was such an abundance that morsels of food would be dropped and they would be swept out to the street and, and the wild dogs would, would feed on these crumbs and, and Lazarus would long for these very crumbs to be his portion. Not dissimilar from the prodigal son who had to eat and crave the pig's food in the faraway country. And the only comfort, the only soothing he had was when the dogs came 
and licked his sores. So very different people. Very opposite. Extreme opposites. But the next verse, verse 22, shows a great leveling. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. The reality of death came to both. And for the one, it was a sad ending. He died and was buried. Think of the rich man. Why was he merely died and buried? Why was he sent to hell and torment? Well, the sad reality was that it's not because he was rich. There were many rich people in the Bible who were godly. Think of Abraham. But it's because he did not acknowledge the Lord and trust in the Lord and show mercy unto Lazarus. It's almost like Lazarus was an opportunity for for service and for care and for genuine compassion. And the rich man's heart was hard and untouched. He did not show any such kindness. And then Lazarus, the reality of death, found him. And yet he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Ministering spirits, as it were, took him in a figurative way as his soul went up to God, its maker, and to felt communion and fellowship with God. So the reality of death, we must face this. You must face it, children. Parents must face it. Older ones. What's the right way to face the reality of death? Well, I'll answer that in two ways. Firstly, we are called to face the reality of death in utter dependence. I don't know what my dying day will be like. You don't know yours. But every single day, we must depend upon the Lord. Whether it's tomorrow, the Lord so gives it or whether it's in 20 years. We face death dependently. Only he can bring us through and give us strength. But then the second way of facing the reality of death, to do so properly is to face it in faith. That though... We will have to leave earthly ties. That though there will be a great cutting off from our current life, that to face death in faith, 
You know the first answer to the Heidelberg Catechism, perhaps. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That's facing the reality of death with a confidence and even, can we say, with a boldness that even death has been brought into the service of the risen Savior. But if you're not a believer, there's no confidence in death because you don't belong to the faithful Savior. Go to Him this moment. Go to Him now. Cry out for him to save you. Secondly, we have the final destination. The final destination. They had very opposite lives. Extravagance, opulence, and poverty, squalor. But their destinies also are very opposite. But they are not like we would expect. Earlier in this book, in Luke chapter 1, verse 53, we read, He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent empty away. The rich man, we find, died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. And we must not think from this parable that there is some view of heaven from hell or some view of hell from heaven. That's not what the parable is teaching. We must not think that there's some inter, some third place other than heaven or hell where people go to be purged. That's wrong. But what we see is that these destinies are fixed. There's no going from the one to the other, or from, from Hades to heaven, or from heaven to Hades. They are self-contained. And the destiny of the rich man is summarized by one word. Torment. What a word. Children, maybe there are scary words. Maybe the word ghost, or maybe the word being alone. Or maybe the word darkness. Or maybe the word thunder, or lightning, or thunderstorm fills you. And then we can try to take comfort and we can try to find support as we face these things. But torment, that is a word of tragic solemnity. Torment. Being in torments in Hades. Verse 25, 
Lazarus received evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. That's the one destination, is hell. We don't like to think about final judgment. But the Bible is very clear. Christ spoke repeatedly on hell. And we see in hell that there is loneliness. There's no friendship, camaraderie, shared feelings and togetherness. It's complete loneliness. Complete isolation, complete misery. Yes, what Lazarus had in this life, being alone, being miserable. The rich man had eternally in hell, alone, miserable. Then there's the consciousness. Children, you know when you've done something wrong, you feel it. Things just aren't right. And you want to get rid of that feeling. You want to, again, be, be friendly with your brother or sister or be in a good relationship with your parents and to be able to smile. When things aren't right, you, it just doesn't feel the same. Imagine that eternally. That things are, are very wrong and things are... It's, it's called in other places in the New Testament, weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. Our consciences. Consciences in, in hell. In the words of one writer, have everlasting remorse for wasted hours. And evil days, everlasting remorse for wasted hours and evil days. And then there's the worst thing of all being under God's wrath. He could protect himself from a whole host of circumstances through his wealth, through his standing. But in torments, he was condemned by the just judge of all the earth. What an awful end. And it's my prayer this night that no one here, that no one looking, would have this destination as their final end. Oh, what a serious, sober thing it is. To meet God outside of Christ. But then for Lazarus, him whom the Lord helps, who had such a misery in this life, what is the one word describing him? Comfort. He is comforted. He is provided for in every way. And this is, a, this is a declaration of what heaven will be. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, saith the Lord. And this comfort is in sharing with all of the saints. 
the joys of heaven. What will it be, dear believer, to be with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? To be with David, to be with the prophets? To be with the people of God all from all around the world? Comfort, joy, and then the sense of, of felt communion with God. What will that be? By faith, there's distance here and now, but to be up close and personal, to be forever with the Lord, comfort one another with these words. And to be perfect, cleansed forever, saved to sin no more. That will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. The final destination is fixed. And there will not be one bit of relief for anyone in hell. Not even Lazarus will be sent to dip his finger in water and put it on the tongue of the rich man. It will be eternal torment. Oh, that we would fear the Lord as we should. So what is it for you this evening? If you were called to meet the Lord this night, what would your final destiny be? Comfort. Oh, we can thank the Lord, people of God, that for sinners who deserved hell, there is provision of a place of peace and quiet rest in the presence of God in heaven. Rejoice. For this destiny is fixed. None will pluck any of the sheep of the shepherd out of the shepherd's grasp. The home is being prepared for every single believer. But if not, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yet there is time. And this is our last point, opportunity for repentance. Knowing that his place is unchanging. The rich man asks, well, can you send Lazarus to my brother's? To my father's house I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. He tries to get Abraham to have Lazarus go and give them advance notice. And Abraham replies, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. What does that teach us? Well, it teaches us that we have what we need now. We have the scriptures as our authoritative guide for faith and practice. We know what God requires of us. We don't need a, a miraculous experience. We don't need somebody, an angel coming down. 
we have the sufficient guide for our life and for our faith. They have Moses and the prophets. And we have a completed Bible. How important then it is before the day of reckoning to be well acquainted with what God has done. Then there will be no surprises in that day. What did Moses and the prophets tell of? He tells of the God of compassion who visited Israel in their distress when they were helpless and hopeless in bondage and brought them out. Moses and the prophets tell of the promise of the one who would come to deliver his people by dying and by being buried and by rising again. The one who is Jehovah, the I am that I am, is the Savior. Moses and the prophets tell us what does God require? To love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves. They have Moses and the prophets. Congregation, are you using your Bibles not out of mere pattern because it's what you always do before bed or after meals, but to truly prepare for the day of reckoning, to truly live your life wisely and well. How sufficient the scriptures are. We have no need of anything more. What we need are hearts that are made hungry through the Spirit's work to feed on them and benefit by them. But then the rich man has one more request. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, where he, in verse 30, and he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. If one goes from the dead, if, if one appears who was dead, and, and then they will repent. And again, Father Abraham replies, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. Jesus knows that he's going to Jerusalem, and that he's going to die there. Jesus knows that his ministry will continually be rejected. Even unto his death. And even after his resurrection, unbelief makes no distinction. They'll reject the word of of living messengers, they'll reject the word 
of those who come from the dead, they will not be persuaded if they are not brought under the authority of what they have. Moses and the prophets. So final reckoning. It's good for us to stand before the judgment seat and consider what is death? Consider where am I going after death? And to consider what use have I made of God's rule for my life now. And what we'll find upon the final reckoning is this, that if we're in Christ by faith tonight, nothing will come in that day that we won't be provided for. But if we're outside of Christ tonight and we remain there, oh, then what a fearful and solemn day that will be to meet the one whom we have rejected and to be cast forever into hell. Amen.